0: Getting it now, Okay, I'm so proud of you starting in verse 5 Matthew chapter 6 and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full but when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well done. Go ahead and have a seat. I am so excited for today. We have a a treat in store. Um, I'm, the person I'm about to introduce is a guest speaker, and uh, I just want to give you a quick little snapshot of who he is so that you know. Um, H.R. Is, um, has been my pastor and a leader in the history uh, of my life. He is responsible for my role in ministry. So if that's a problem for you, you can blame him. <laughs> Uh, I went um, to work for HR back in 2010, and I will say this, without hyperbole, the best leader I've ever worked for. And so it's a great honor for me to have him here preaching uh, with us today to preach on uh, this beautiful passage who you've already heard me preach on a bunch. And so it was, it was God's timing That as we go through Matthew and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, that you don't have to listen to me preach again on prayer. In fact, you get a fresh perspective. Isn't that amazing how God does that? Okay, so without further ado, can we please welcome all together H.R. Huntsman. So
1: it was September eighth, two 2003, which was the first day of hunting season, archery for elk. I'm out in the Yakima Valley with my friend John. Uh, First day, we've scouted out, we're getting ready. September 8th, get up early, leave the camper, it's oh dark 30, stupid time to be out. It's cold, I go find my place, John finds his place, I find my place where I think there's gonna be elk. Sit there for hours in the cold with my bow and don't see a thing. (laughs) Nothing happens. I'm not the most patient guy, I expect first day of hunting season, seven by seven bull elk, comes stands right on the trail, shoot them out jerky by afternoon. That's, my expect, that's kind of my expectation for hunting, which is why I was never a very good hunter. <laughs> September 8th, that morning hunt sucks. It's terrible. Don't see anything. Go back to the trailer talking about. He didn't see anything either. Afternoon hunt. Don't see anything. September 9th, 2003. Begin the same way. Oh, dark 30, I'm up. However, September 9th is a significant day. It's my birthday. So go and pull out your phones. Go ahead and put that in as a reminder for next year if you want to send me something. September 9th, 2003, just celebrated the 20th anniversary of what is about to happen. Oh, dark 30, September 9th, same place as yesterday. Sitting there, freezing my butt off, no elk. I pray a prayer. Today is about prayer. I pray a prayer. It goes something like this. God, today's my birthday. (laughs) It would be really cool if I saw an elk today. Could you do that for me? Amen. That's it. Hunt went by, didn't see a thing. Nothing. Go back to the camper. Reconvene with John. John, did you see anything? Nothing. Didn't see anything. This sucks. <laughs> Hunting sucks. This area sucks. Everything. Afternoon hunt comes, and we know it's the afternoon. Like They're all bedded down. We're not going to see anything, but we're bored. We're impatient. So we started hiking off to a whole new area. We, have, we took our bows, quivers, the whole deal. We're hiking up. We end up hiking down this little... Pathway road into a huge clear cut. The Forest Service or BLM or some logging people had clear cut it and they had piled this huge log pile in the middle of this clear cut. And we're just remarking on how beautiful it is, a nice sunny day, the whole deal. All of a sudden, up in the woods above the clearing, we hear crack! Like, whoa. 10 seconds later, crack! Like, oh my gosh probably elk. Then we hear the hooves. Stampede. By now we've drawn, we've both knocked an arrow. Breaking out of the tree line, heading directly for us, is an entire herd of stampeding elk. (laughs) Something spooked them up in the hills. Now they're heading directly at us. In the first... um, Jurassic Park, where the Gallimimus are heading toward. It's like, it's exactly like that, except a big pile of wood. So the herding elk, right at us, they have to go around the wood, now around us. I'm literally being surrounded by a stampeding herd of elk that has split us on either side. I pulled out, had my first arrow shot, missed the whole herd. I've learned you can't hit a herd of elk. (laughs) The herd is large enough for me to knock another arrow as it's going by, shoot, miss another herd of elk. (laughs) Amazing, I've never hunted since this time. They leave, John misses as well. We don't care, we're like, oh my gosh, high five, that was amazing, that was incredible. Who gets to be surrounded by a stampeding herd of elk? I'd long forgotten my prayer that morning. Long forgotten my prayer that morning. Stampeding herd, high five, that was amazing. Did you even come close? No, me neither, who cares? (laughs) Who has that story? Nobody has that story, so. Wind down, energy winds down. We hike off in a different direction. We're heading up to this other area. We come to this crest. Come to this crest, I'm gonna pretend this is like it right here. And I look over to my left, right over where this gentleman is sitting, and I see something that doesn't quite fit. It really shouldn't be there. I don't know what it is yet. It doesn't quite fit the woods. I spent an enormous amount of time in the woods and this thing doesn't fit, but I can't tell what it is. So I start walking closer and closer and closer and just oddly, I still don't know until I get right on it and I pick it up and it's the backside of a Mylar balloon. So I turn it over and I see this. Oh, happy Who does not believe this story? <laughs> I turn it over and there is a happy birthday balloon. And that's when I remember, oh my gosh, my prayer this morning, God, it's my birthday today. I would love to see an elk. I didn't see an elk. I saw a whole freaking stampeding herd of elk running right at me. And I get a happy birthday balloon for it. Today I'm going to talk about prayer. And I'm going to admit to you that it is the biggest mystery to me. I have no idea why God gave me a pink happy birthday balloon on that day after that short prayer. And sometimes he says no, and sometimes it's silent. Occasionally he says yes. And a lot of times we're confused and we don't understand. It's still a mystery to me, but I know this is now hanging on my bedroom wall, by the way, I'm gonna hand that down to my kids, (laughs) that God listens to us. And my happy birthday balloon proves it. Rick read the scripture, so I'm not going to read it again. We're gonna go through it piece by piece. I'm just gonna pick out a few areas that I think are significant to us. When Rick first asked me to teach on this, I thought to myself, oh, sure. Why not give me the most read, the most analyzed, the most scrutinized, the most memorized scripture in the entire Bible? Like, what can I possibly say that hasn't been said? And he said, oh, we did like a two-month series on Prejudice a few months ago. I'm like, why? (laughs) They're so sick of hearing about prayers, like can't we hear about something else? So I'll do my best to leave you with a nugget or two before you leave. But before we get into the content, I wanna talk about the context. And I know Rick does a great job teaching this as well, but when you begin to read the Bible, you open up your Bible, and the context is almost as important as the content, because the Bible was not written in a vacuum, it was written by humans to humans. In fact, I often say something that can be controversial to people, The Bible is not a religious document. It's not like a person sat down and just decided to write religious doctrine or theology to hand down. It's a historical document of how people encountered God. And after they encountered God, they wrote down the encounter it has been handed down to us through generations. So we can read about these encounters and we can apply the principles and truths to our lives. So we have this historical document written by this guy named Matthew. Who's Matthew? Matthew records his owner encounter with Jesus a few chapters later in Matthew chapter nine, and then he authored this book a few decades later. Now it's important to note that Matthew was, anybody know his profession? Matthew was a tax collector. Say boo, yeah, right? boo. How many of you like IRS agents? You have them over to your house. Barbecues with them? No. Well, it was worse first century because Matthew is a Jewish tax collector working for the Roman government to to collect taxes from the Jews to fund the Roman projects. The Romans look down on him. The Jews hate him as a traitor. He's in no man's land. They're famous for overtaxing people keeping it for themselves and making themselves rich while undercutting the good businesses of their own country folk. So people hated tax collectors. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus comes along and says, Matthew, would you join me? And Matthew says, yeah, sure. I can imagine what that first introduction is like. When Jesus takes Matthew to the rest of the people, all the disciples and says, hey gang, so once you know, I met a new guy for our team. Uh, this is Matthew. They're like, oh, we know Matthew. He's a tax collector. Yeah, he's going to be one of our disciples. He's going to help us change the world forever. And I can just admit, it's going to be Peter. It's going to be Peter who does the following, because he's this hothead dude. He's like, Jesus, come here a second. I don't know if you know this, but he's a tax collector. He's a traitor just goes, yeah, I know. He's one of mine, too. It's important to know who writes this stuff. So if you're here today, and there are times where you felt like you didn't belong, you didn't measure up, You weren't good enough? For God to love, use, forgive, save you? Matthew's your dude. And this is your place. So Matthew, the former tax collector, now world changer, writes this book and he's recounting this time where Jesus led this multitude in prayer. What's well, the setting outside of Capernaum where Matthew was a tax collector? Peter, James, and John were fishermen on this very lake. I find it interesting to know that it's almost certain that Matthew collected taxes from Peter, James, and John. I find that hilarious. (laughs) So that's the context. This former traitor, outcast, hated, reject is now part of the team. He's writing a document that's gonna be handed down for generations for us to get to know and understand the historical encounters these men and women had with Jesus. He's standing on this hillside overlooking, we don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands, early in his ministry, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and he's gonna talk about prayer. He had just talked about giving. He's about to talk about fasting, and in the middle of that, he's talking about prayer. And the first part, I talk about the posture of prayer. It's how I think about those first verses, 5 through 8, where he says, don't be like. Don't, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and show in robes and fancy words and blah, blah. Don't be like them. They're impressing men. Don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles, the pagans. They just go on and on, babble, 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 hoping to move God in their direction. So I'm just going to quickly plant a couple seeds. May we not engage in a faith that tries to impress people or manipulate God. The first part, we can all be guilty of. We dress a little sharper, we speak a little kinder, we put on our church face and be careful that we're not trying to impress the people around us with how strong our faith is, manipulating God. That leads us to verse eight. Verse eight is actually my favorite verse because it bothered me for so long. You guys have it up here, good. Verse eight says, go on and on, babble, 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 God already knows what you need before you even ask. Right. Right. To which my next follow-up question is then, then why do we pray? <laughs> if he already knows what I need before I ask, then what's the point? That puzzled me for a long time. If that ever puzzled you? Hopefully we'll be able to open that up today. So I love verse eight. You don't have to babble in all this stuff. You're not going to impress him. All said is not a show off. You're not going to be able to manipulate him or bend him to your will. I mean, so what's the point? So the next section, I go from posture to purpose. In my mind, the purpose of prayer, Jesus begins to open up and he begins with connection. I think the greatest purpose of prayer is connection. Let's start with our Father. Those two words are magnificent. He doesn't say Elohim, the plurality of majesty. He doesn't say Adonai, the Lord. He doesn't even say Jehovah, the great I am. He would never say Yahweh. He doesn't say any of those names. He calls us to himself with our, plural, our. He invites us into a relationship with him. Notice what he's doing here. This is Jesus, the Savior, who's saying, yours and mine, Father. That to me is incredible. He's saying, like he is to me, he is to you, our. I'll say that again. Like he is to me, he is to you, our. Now let's remember who he's talking to. Pharisees. Gentiles, fishermen, merchants, tax collectors, the entire spectrum of humanity, just like today, he calls this all under the umbrella of fatherhood and says, like he is to me, he will be to you, our father. That's still magnificent to me. It is beyond beautiful, it's extraordinary. Father, let's unpack that for just a second. My father had his first stroke when I was 18 months of age. He lived with us until I was nine. I found him dead in the backyard. I didn't know he was my dad until after he passed away. My mom had remarried so she could take care of him. My first stepdad lived with us at the same time. He ran off with another woman. After my father, who I now know as my father, passed away, my mom remarries again, a second stepdad. My home was filled with alcoholism and abuse and chaos and pain. and frustration and poverty. So father to me was not a very positive word. When I became a Christ follower at age 18, I had to work my way through this concept. For some of you, the concept of father rings true with this wonderful, strong, passionate protector, provider, guide, nurturer, mentor. And so you read that and go, that's extraordinary. God's like that. When I first read that, I was like, oh, God's like that? So for, for those of you that didn't have a very positive father role model, what I learned was to judge my earthly fathers by my heavenly father, not my heavenly father, but like my earthly father. It was Psalm 68.5 that changed my concept of father. Psalm 68.5 says this God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows and orphans, is God in his holy place. I'm like, oh, he's an adopter. I needed to be adopted because my dads were terrible. Our Father, so connection is a divine purpose of prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your your name is to be held sacred. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the first purpose of prayer is connection with God, and the second purpose is to connect with his purpose. So, to connect with this person and to connect with this purpose, I think, is the fundamental purpose of prayer. Connect with this purpose. His purpose is grace and love and restoration. He loves to heal broken things like me, like you. He loves to bring people back into right relations with Him and with each other. And he says, in prayer, our Father, in prayer, as we're connected to this heavenly Father, we also get connected to what he's doing on earth. What I believe about prayer, I also believe about the church. I pastored a church for almost 25 years, and I believe the role of the church is to connect people to God's purpose and his person. I think the reason Foundation Church exists is to connect people to God's person and God's purpose. No matter else what we do, no matter what else we do, the most important things we should be doing is connecting people to God's person and God's purpose. Because our identity is that of children. And God says, kids come together under one roof. All of you come together in one roof. Even the tax collectors, yep. Even the tax collectors come, even the tax collectors. Even the people you don't like. I'm gonna say that again, I want that to sink in. The people you don't like and look down on and have had problems with and rubbed the wrong way, even them, yep, even them, even them, even them. That's the purpose, okay. Let's talk about provision. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. I'm gonna go back to verse eight. Remember verse eight? He already knows everything you need before you even come to him. So why does verse 11 exist? God, give us today our daily bread as though I need to inform him that I'm out of bread. As though I need to make him aware of anything. If he is who we believe he is, I cannot inform him, educate him, or make him aware of any, he already knows. So why the heck does verse 11 exist? God, give me today my daily bread, give us today our daily bread. Why does it exist? I believe it exists for this reason. It's not that I need to remind God I need bread, I need to remind myself that I'm at the bread maker. I'm gonna say that again, some of you missed that. I don't need to remind God that I need bread, I need to remind myself that I'm at the bread maker because I can get caught up in the illusion that I'm the bread maker because I really like control. Any other control addicts here? Just four of you. Any habitual liars in the room? The rest of you. We need to do a message on lying next week. I often suffer under the illusion that I'm in control. I'm a pretty high-achieving dude. I have a lot of energy, I have a modicum of skills, I'm a good provider, I'm a really hard worker, and I can take care of a lot of stuff on my own. And I often forget I'm not the breadmaker. Often forget I'm not the breadmaker. And this verse and others like it remind me, "Oh yeah. The most important, significant things in life that I need, I'm not in, in control of. Uh, air. Yep. The air that fills my lungs, the light that fills the sky, the water that comes down, the opportunities on my doorstep, the economy, just how people react to me or treat trium- I mean, the vast majority of things I'm not in control of. And this type of prayer reminds me God, today, let me focus on you as the bread maker. Give me today. You can replace bread with any daily provision you want. God, give me today my daily dose of grace, my daily dose of patience, business opportunities. God, today give me, give us, Whatever you need today. Today, I need wisdom. This morning, I prayed, God, today, give me just a special portion of anointing for this time, just for today. Not for tomorrow. Yesterday's already gone. But for today, I need from you this extra provision of the things that I cannot create because I'm not the bread maker. Now, I will take advantage of the opportunities you bring me, and I'll work and strive and the best I can to hand them back to you tenfold, but I'm not the breadmaker. You're the bread maker. Okay, let's... Go to the final passages. So we have the purpose of prayer, I believe is connection number one. Provision number two, reminding ourselves we're not the bread maker. We stand before God boldly. We come before the throne of grace. Grant us these things. His brother James later writes, you have not because you ask not. So go ahead and ask because I believe the connection is made in the conversation. And then he ends with what I'm going to call protection. He talks about forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses, however you want to translate it, as we forgive those who trespass against us. H, why do you say that's protection? Forgiveness protects us, protects me, protects you from the penalty of sin. So we're able to come before our Father as kids and say, please forgive me for that trespass against you, the violation of your character. That's how I see sin, by the way. It's a violation of connection, the violation of character. The violation of relationship, lying, gossip, all those things, stealing. It's a violation of connection, is what it is. I think that's what God cares about most, is connection. And so Jesus ends this amazing, simple prayer with remember to protect your soul. And forgiveness is the antidote to the disease, the cancers of resentment and bitterness and spiritual apathy. Forgiveness is the antidote and the cure to those broken relationships and to the hurt that we cause towards each other and that some cause towards us. Everyone in this room has scars caused by other people that you're still carrying around, myself included, that long need this cure, this salve of forgiveness. When we release those things to God, we let Him take care of them, There's a protection for our soul of the cancers that rob joy and peace and connection and abundance. We walk around with these toxins in our soul because we're holding on to these things for far too long. God, teach us to forgive others like you have forgiven me, us. In the measure that you have forgiven us, may we forgive others. Now let me close by saying what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness, for those of you, I grew up in a very painful, abusive home. Doesn't make those things okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean it was okay. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean that you're going to want a relationship with that person. It's far more about your relation with yourself and your relation with God. So, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends. What forgiveness means is that I'm protecting my soul with this unbelievable gift that God has given us so that I can have better, healthy relationship for the amazing people that God brings into my life. Let me close with this. Oh, let me say one more thing about forgiveness, and then I'll close. I believe the measure of Christianity is not how much we love Jesus. It's how much we love Judas. It's easy to love Jesus. It takes nothing to love someone who gives you unconditional love, grace, forgiveness, gifts, redemption. He's calling us to love the people that have hurt us the most, backstabbed and betrayed. So whoever your Judas is, I think our real, the real measure of our Christianity is how much we love the people that hurt us the most. Do I have the courage to give that entirely up to God? Okay, I'm going to end where I began. There's a lot I don't understand about prayer. Quite, quite often I'll get a yes and it's a, I'll see the yes unfold in front of me. There's a lot of times I get a hard no, like lottery tickets. Always a hard no. <laughs> i even bargain like, you know what I would do with this? Yeah, no. Probably more often than anything, I get a lot of silence. And once in a lifetime, I get a happy birthday balloon. (laughs) I am convinced that the greatest purpose of prayer is not what we can get from God, is that we can get to be like His kids. The greatest purpose of prayer is not what we can get from God, is that we connect to God. So as you are practicing your prayer life, I would encourage you just to talk to him as his kids, just have a conversation. The relationship is the conversation. You can stumble and fumble. It doesn't matter what words you use. You don't have anything fancy. He does not care. He just says, my kids, my daughter, my son, just come to me because the relationship is the connection and the connection is the conversation. Thank you guys very much.
0: Thank you, HR. What a powerful message. We like to respond to these moments with communion. And so, on your chair, or on the floor in front of you, wherever you set it, you'll have a communion cup. And I'd like for you to grab that. HR talked about grace, talked about forgiveness. Communion is the tangible reminder of the gift of God's grace. I'm going to read a scripture and then I'm going to read a quote from Matthew 26. This was Jesus's reminder or rather instruction to remember the work that he did on the cross to create that forgiveness, to create that restoration. And this is what he says in verses 26 through 28. While they were eating, they were having a meal together, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. That phrase needs an entire sermon on its own, so I'm not going to get into that. Then in 27, then he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So for the Christ follower, the practice of communion is significant because it's remembering the work that Christ did for us on the cross through his death and resurrection And for the person who's not a Christ follower, it's juice and a cracker. And in this case, it's actually really a crappy cracker and not very good juice, so I'm sorry about that. The significance is not in the cracker and the juice, it's in the remembrance of what Jesus did. So I love that sermon, the reminder of requesting and connecting and forgiving Dr. Jerry Sitzer in his book, Water from a Deep Well, says this about the sacraments. The sacraments are symbols of the ongoing presence of the material Christ who loved, suffered, and died for our sake. Every time we see a person baptized, we are physically reminded of the cleansing that Jesus offers through his death. Every time we touch, taste, and swallow the bread and wine, in our case, juice, we are reminded of the sustenance that Christ provides for us. This is not abstract, ambiguous, sentimental, or an ephemeral kind of spirituality. It is body and blood. It is water, bread, wine. In the Christian faith, the spiritual and the material are mysteriously, perfectly, and ultimately united in Christ, in the sacraments, and in God's plan of redemption. That's why we receive it. That's why we receive it. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for these elements, and we're going to receive them. I would also like to invite anyone who wants prayer. Right over here, underneath the storm sign, we're gonna have Mike and Karen and Gwen available to pray with anybody. I would imagine if you're like me, there's lots of things that I need prayer for. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that. We're gonna sing a song so that we can praise. We're gonna receive the elements, and you're gonna have the opportunity to go and be prayed for. Now, I loved this. Mike pointed this out to me earlier. The sign, we just used the storm sign as a marker, but I thought it was fitting he pointed out that much like the verse that Jessica read at the beginning, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms came, there's storms in your life right now. I don't even have to know what they are, they just are there, that's what happens. We're humans, we're broken, we're Christ followers, there's storms. So go get prayer. Go get prayer for your storms. So I'm going to pray, and then after you receive the elements, you can stand and sing. You can join us in prayer, and then I'll come back and close us out. Father God, we thank you for this, this cracker, this wafer, and this juice, and the reminder, the tangible reminder that we taste and touch and swallow this physical, gracious reminder of your love and sacrifice for us on the cross. So I pray that if there's somebody here who's not a Christ follower, that they would make that decision today to know you, to follow you, to proclaim your lordship in their life. That they may join in this celebration that we have together. And God, for those of us who are remembering that work today, may it be a powerful reminder in our life of what Jesus did and is doing now and going forward. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the elements and then join me.